This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan. Has he ever been on a bender, Moriarty? Dagan, I'm curious. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever gone on a bender before? Like really like gone gone hard? For, Let me know, like, confirm yeah. the definition of a bender for you. Yeah. Because I'm not exactly, I might, I might be unclear on this. So a bender is, I guess, in particular with drinking, right? It's like a multi-night or multi-day drinking escapade right it's like it's like going off and and binging for a day you know maybe multiple days more than one yeah. day or one night right right that's how i've always looked at it okay like you would and i'm looking at this thing now it says the slang term can mean a drug party an extended period of continued drug use for instance if you wait might pass out for a, a short time wake up and then start drinking again oh it doesn't have to be alcohol okay yeah i would i would assume not any kind of substance yeah uh, no, no, never. I never have that. That would be, and that would be crazy to me. Like I, I even pictured like this, and maybe because I'm a little tame by comparison to most people, but I think of I envision drinking one night to an enormous degree, then drinking the next day and into the next night. That would be insane to me. I remember what it was like in my 20s to be hungover for just one crazy night. So I can't imagine magnifying that by like three times. That would some, be insane. Some say the best cure to a hangover is to just begin again. That's what they say, but I never went in for that that philosophy. What about you? Have you ever done that where you just kind of did a whole weekend of, <laughs> I was going to say carousing, but that has nothing to do with it. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe we did that too. Yeah, I definitely, like, I don't know. See, because I think Bender, that has a negative connotation. It's like the word where selfish we always or i bring up before where i'm like the word selfish has this negative connotation but it's really trying to describe something yeah like to be selfish right uh, obviously iron rand writes a lot about that one of my favorite philosophers oh, interesting but i mean that's like what her whole thing's about but to me i feel like if you remove i'm not like first of all i don't do drugs i don't do hard drugs i, I as i've said in the past i i did opium once on a mistake but otherwise i've i've because i thought it was weed but i've just i've never done coke or anything like that i've been around and anything you can imagine so I wouldn't do that, but I've been around those kinds of people that do those kind, like bend like that for sure in my 20s. And yeah, I would say that there have been a handful of like weekends in Vegas or that makes a, sense at a bachelor party. I remember one particular bachelor party for my friend Nate in San Diego, which was like a three day affair where I wouldn't call it a bender where it's like you're just going crazy, but I was drinking the entire time. The entire for probably time. Like See? 72 hours. I mean, I was basically just drinking and smoking weed like that the makes sense. Like time. The and it was fun, but I can't do that. Bachelor party, right? Right. The exactly. yeah, yeah. I, which I've never been to one of those. Every bachelor party I've ever was like a one night affair, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been to those two or even just dinners, but, but, or like, you know, nights at the bar, like you said. But, and then 
Vegas, I mean, I used to go to Vegas all the time. I love Las Vegas. And I, I consider your time there to be inherently kind of like a bender because you're there for 48 hours or something like that. And it's kind of the know, point. Right. You yeah. get you get there. I'm, I'm drinking at dinner. I'm drinking at the table. I'm drinking at the pool. I'm drinking at the buffet. I'm, you know, see, that makes so, sense. To so me. that's kind of what I, I would consider that. Because I'm looking here at Oxford language. They, they call it a wild drinking spree. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I've been on a bender. OK. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have to involve multi multiple a multitude of substances or multiple substances. Right. It doesn't have to be. Think drug. So. I don't think like so. A slash. Right. He's got the bottle of Jack smoking a doobie. Yeah. Maybe there's some coke in there. I don't want to say heroin. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Slash. But, you know, everything and everything's connected by just chain smoking ciggies. Right. That's what I think of like the rock star type thing. It's just like everything. Women, throw women in there, whatever. Right. You know, food, yeah, room service, definitely. the whole thing. Like just it's just complete debauchery. Like that, <laughs> like that uh that Joe Walsh song. Um what's that song called? Oh, I have it here. Yeah, Life's Been Good from his um but seriously folks record, nineteen seventy eight. That's awesome. that's all that's all about you know, that lifestyle. That's I love awesome. a rock star writing about that stuff. So candid. Oh, that song is so good, dude. I got to go listen. What's the title of it? It's called, uh, life's been good. I'm going to go. And it's all about like, let me see here. I'm going to go listen to that. I'll see you, guys <laughs> see you guys later. Yeah. It's so, first of all, it's like almost 10 minutes long, but Oh shit. It's an epic. It's like, he says, I have a mansion. Forget the price. Ain't never been there. They tell me it's nice. I live in hotels, tear That's out the walls. I have accountants awesome. pay for it all. You know, that kind of thing. So like that's what the whole song's about. It's awesome. It's great. Just song. complete, yeah. The complete rock stop rock. You know what's so funny, dude? The whole time watching this, we're not gonna talk about what we're gonna do yet. You guys may have a hint now. I, but, I mean you Well, know. you know, you yeah. know, because you clicked on it, right? Right. But the whole time watching this show and writing, I didn't think of that once. I didn't think of like bender like rock star alcoholic bender. I didn't either. I mean, I really didn't either. When I was that's trying so to think weird. about like I was trying to think about what you would bend, and then for some reason in my mind, I just came up just the term "bender" came up. I'm like, "Oh, it's kind go. of just funny on its own." But of course, as you mentioned, and as everyone knows, we're finally doing Avatar: The what? Last Airbender. This will be an episode for season uh, one, and we're doing this for the audience. This is our 200th episode. Now we don't That's typically insane. celebrate episode numbers. We do like milestone episodes, but for the 200th episode, I thought we would secretly watch Avatar: The Last Airbender season one so i didn't let the audience know that we were doing this which they usually can get a hint because we put out a topic thread sure. on patreon so it always kind of teases things but i thought this would pop up as a podcast and would be fun for an audience that for some reason was desperate for me and you to watch this you guys asked for it and length. i have yeah I, I have a lot to say about it but i wanted to let everyone know we appreciate your love kindness and support on patreon on free feeds whatever the case might be 200 episodes 200 weeks in a row what? is a long time dave do you have any reflections it, it it'll be um four years uh in february in february yeah. yeah four years in february of doing this podcast how crazy is that it does not i have to say from the from the outset does not feel that long it doesn't feel like four years which i would say is a good sign right it doesn't i don't know what it feels like but maybe it feels like half of that maybe three yeah, years but better. i could at least trim a year off that doesn't feel like doesn't feel like the sheer amount the magnitude of work equivocates to four years. So that's pretty crazy that we've gone four years already. And we appreciate you guys. And, you know, I have to say, credit where credit is due. This was Colin's brainchild. He wanted to give you guys something special for 200. 
This is an episode you guys have been asking about for four years, for the better part of four years. You guys, yeah, really it would always make. This. I mean, the the story dig for yeah. everyone that out there yeah, doesn't yeah. know is that on Patreon at patreon.com slash media we do elections every month and. So pretty much one in four or one in five topics we do on the show is selected ultimately by the audience as you guys vote and put your topic ideas out there. And Avatar The Last Airbender would make the – so we have a primary election where everyone puts ah. their ideas in. Then people vote on those ideas and it always shakes out the, mo- the pop- most popular five. Of course. Avatar The Last Airbender would get into those, those five every month for over and probably over two or two and a half years <laughs> and then never get – like literally every month. And then never win. And people were just getting infuriated. And I was so tired of seeing it that sometime a year or two ago, I was like, please just stop voting for this. We will do it at some we're point. We're going to do it. We promise. And, and I must say, that, and I was reflecting on this because Micah and I watched it together. And I want to say before I start making fun of it, because I'm not making fun of it because it's bad. It's, it's really good. And, and I, I want to say at the very top, it's much better than I thought it was. Gonna oh, be. Okay. I, I, was, I, I can't wait to hear that. your take. Yeah. It's much My better high. than I thought it was. Okay. Gonna be. Am I confused why you wanted me to watch it? Yes. But it was much better than I, I, I thought it was going to be. But, you know, going into the experience, it was funny because I, I had said this a while ago and then you just kind of put it off and be like, yeah, in my mind. And I remember telling you, and I'm like, we'll do it for episode 200. We'll do it for episode 200. And you can just kind of forget about it. And then it just here it is. Episode 200. So, you, so I sat down to watch it and it's on Netflix, which is convenient and super convenient. It's it's really cute. I mean, I think it's a really good, heartwarming, high quality, interesting show. I just the way I would explain it is if I were born in 1994 instead of 1984, I would have loved this shit. Absolutely. Absolutely loved it. If this was on in primetime elementary and middle school, Colin, toy collecting, Colin. Yeah. You know, license game, Colin, all that, it would have been a different story. I can totally see all the makings of something that would be very intriguing to me. Sure. That said, it didn't, I didn't watch it at 12. I watched it at 37. So that comes with like a little bit of experience and kind of wisdom as to what works and what doesn't. And I think one of the really impressive parts of the show is just how consistently good it looks. And I also think it just has a lot of character, a lot of love, a lot of great voice acting, no oh, writing. Yeah. I think it has all of it. I, I I totally understand why people love it. But I also felt like it could have been six episodes instead of 20. I also felt like there okay. was. Okay. I was telling, again, Mike and I were talking about it. And I'm like, I really feel like almost half of the episodes served no purpose mm-hmm. when you really think about it. Okay. They immediately say they're going from the south to the north or whatever they're doing. And then it's just these interstitial, meaningless stops along the way. Stops along the way. Absolutely. When really it could have been like that initial encounter. And I understand why it's not. They want to have 20 episodes, of course. And it's very you know manga-like to have all this just, just nonsense going on. But they have this. They could have had like the, the finding him, introducing him, and kind of getting outcast by the town and saving the town. And then traveling, meeting the master, dealing with the Fire Nation in that way. And I was like, that could have been two hours. It really sure. didn't need yeah, to be Yeah, I could long. see that. So it almost, to me, to me I, I almost felt like I would have liked it more as a two or three hour movie where you just kind of trim the fat. Now, I know we got that later on. Yes. With M. Night. Right. And by, oh. so here's and here's the last thing I want to say Dave, before I kick it over to you, because I, I, I mean, I really want to just listen to you here. Talk about this. I don't have very much more to say. I was like, <laughs> obviously kicking him. But I somehow remained completely ignorant of this 
entire world mm -hmm. forever. I knew in in dribs and drabs, it was like this little kid. He's bald. He's got like an arrow on his head. <laughs> I didn't know how it related to the M. Night movie. I wasn't sure until like last week if it even did. And also I read a little bit into that. And then, of course, at the same time, there's the James Cameron avatar shit. So all of this avatar stuff is coming out at the same time, literally within two years of each other. So confusing. Plus the movie, the M. Night movie a few years later. And yeah, yeah, it's confusing. And so I think I just I have to be honest. I didn't really know this was going on on Nickelodeon. James Cameron's avatar kind of comes out. I'm like, that looks fucking stupid. I immediately seal my brain off to avatar. The Anything blue avatar. avatar. And then I think by virtue of it being named the same thing, it kind of got dragged in in my mind where I just I was like everything Avatar related. I don't know. They're not all related to each other, but they all have to kind of go away. And so somehow. I I just missed all of this surprise, like even with the Legend of Korra, I was reading about that and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. So then I'm like, where? So I started watching the show and I'm like, where's Korra? Yeah, because <laughs> I thought she was going to be like a character immediately. Sure. So I don't know what the hell is going on. No. So it was from that point of view, it was a really interesting experience to be like, I don't know that I've been more ignorant of many topics going in than I was of this. Like, I, I literally just didn't know. Yeah, and, no, I totally hear you on that. So from that point of view, it's fun to uncover something that you really didn't know and think about where you were at the time. I was in college and I was like, yeah, I just think it was the wrong time. I just <laughs> think it's it's like showing say by the bell to someone. Yeah, you're right. I can watch say by the bell every day i love that show but you had to have been there i don't i don't think you can really know what say by the bell was it but i think this show benefits because it just it holds up which i think is a great advantage and it's truly good it's not a piece of pop culture yes so, it is really good this so anyway i've said a lot today's episode is brought to you by angie angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well let me tell you there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you you watch them do it the right way and you go thank god i didn't try to do that myself i have fully done things around the home that i think look good and then a bang in the night and i wake up to a shelf collapsing a painting falling off the wall like it i've i've seen it all go south i own a home and i can tell you I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Digging Avatar The Last Airbender, February 2005, December 2005, this first season. I'm really curious what you think about this. It should be noted. I guess we have a rare conflict of interest on this show. You work for Nickelodeon. Yes, I do. These so days. we should note that. But <laughs> I, I find but I find but I find uh, I find the connection here strange. I, I guess when I walked away from Nickelodeon in the late 90s, let's say. 
I wouldn't have never expected something like this from them. This seems like something that maybe you would have even seen on MTV more than you would have seen on mm. on Nickelodeon. And certainly not like if you think about not liquid television, but you think about Daria and stuff like that, right? Like they, right. they took a little few risks. You can imagine that they were like, oh, we want to do this anime thing or whatever. And Cartoon Network certainly would have been a more logical place for it to land, too. Yeah, now you would think. Sure. So, I mean, just talk to me about the show. I'm, I'm just whatever you want to say. Yeah, Go now on. it's and now, too, you think of something like Netflix. This would be which, you know, Netflix is developing a live action uh, version of this now. But you would think this would have been appropriate for Netflix circa 2021. But it, it, it is. There's so much to say and there's so much crazy stuff to start. It's it's Colin and I's first journey, our first steps with this series and this property and this franchise. And I totally know what you're saying about it sort of being in a different generation's wheelhouse age-wise because i kind of channel my eight-year-old self and i could see myself really getting smitten with this series as a kid i think this this series would have really would have gotten its hooks into me and i do wonder about our audience first of all i'm glad the consternation is over for you guys and girls i'm glad we're finally covering it hope we could do it justice but i do wonder which of our audience age specifically kind of went in for wanting this topic because I could really see like any kid from like six to maybe preteen, early teens really being of really being like completely fascinated with this show. It's really kind of special. So I kind of I'm kind of channeling like a 2005 perspective for this. And, you know, we finally get to see what all the hype's about. It was completely off my radar too, even as an animator, oddly enough. I think I've seen a couple of episodes between this initial three seasons and Legend of Korra. I probably caught a few episodes here and there and just watched and tried to sate my curiosity a little bit. For the most part, I, haven't, I hadn't seen it, knew very little about it, knew it was a phenomenon, knew it had a huge following, and a lot of people loved it. And I'll tell you, Kyle, right from the start, what I found here in this first season of 20 episodes, and of course, we're going to cover the entire thing, but what I, what I discovered is a series with a very specific rhythm and style, which was a surprise to me. It's sort of a recipe mixing action, adventure, martial arts, mysticism, all of that, but with cleverly injected moments of comedy and levity and silliness, which I wasn't for some reason wasn't expecting and the resulting sort of dish right is this delicious blending of fun and intricate story and thought really thoughtful world building and awesome complex characters that you really find yourself rooting for and all the main characters at least in this first season sort of evolve and change and grow which comes out of this wonderful and nuanced writing and i don't know if i was a little biased going in or i was expecting less because it was nickelodeon or because it was a quote-unquote kid show which i'm a little bit embarrassed to admit because i should be above that as an animator and somebody who really roots for thoughtful children's content but so far what i see is i get a very surprisingly ambitious ultimately very satisfying experience built around carefully juggling tension and joy you know, our tension with the action and the set piece stuff and the adventure and the joyful bits of levity. And it's all sort of constructed upon a foundation of very rich and really amazing characters. And just a few, I would say maybe, I would say every main character, five or six of them, possibly seven, are really, really compelling characters. 
that you really want to see in, on, in an episodic, serialized nature. You want to see what's next for them. Bad and good, antagonist and protagonist. And I love that the show always managed to break up the drama and the tension with this sort of flavor of humor just when you need it. Now, I say just when you need it because I'm looking at it from a 10-year-old's perspective. I think it probably could have been a little less predictable insofar as like, all right, we're going to push the drama and the tension just far enough, and then we're going to break it up with levity. It, it's very systematic in a way, but I could see why. It's, the, you know, it's, it's designed to be appealing to, to children. And I think that crosses over into an adult appeal too. Any good children, think of Pixar's content, right? Any good children's content crosses over to just being appealing on a human level. So I think ultimately what you get is a series that not only entertains, but also challenges kids and never talks down to them. So again, sort of transgressing into just good adult content and something that I thought was fun. I think mixing the magic and the martial arts and the action and everything, and then kind of giving a little bit, not a doctrine, not preachy, but giving lessons on friendship and jealousy and anger and fear and loyalty. And the writing doesn't shy away from, which I think is a little less surprising now, but you go back 15 or 16 years, the writing doesn't shy away from pretty heavy stuff for a kid's show. You know, murder, genocide, vengeance, hatred and racism family, betrayal, a little bit of romance, things like reincarnation. I mean, this for a Nickelodeon show, it's interesting, Kyle. I grew up with a, with a show, ironically, on Nickelodeon that some of you guys may remember. This Nickelodeon show called The Mysterious Cities of Gold, which was another animated, episodic, long adventure serial that Nickelodeon broadcast. That specifically was a French-Japanese co-production, very high quality, really story and character driven, really reminded me a lot of this. But the thing with Mysterious Cities of Gold, it didn't have that sort of kid facing levity and humor, which I think is a big part of the recipe in this case. But it was interesting that this sort of seemed like the next generation of Mysterious Cities of Gold, which we grew up with, which was also a wonderful series. But I think this series does it a little differently. It's a little more colorful and it's a little more, it might be just, just be a little bit more tailored for young people, which I think is awesome. So I think that's a great place to start the conversation. And I really, one of my most, one of my most uh, sought after things with this episode was to get your temperature on it, get your take on it and see what you thought, because I, like you, had just completely missed a boat. And now I have to say, in me, it gained another fan. I, it's always, you know, and- you never, it's always an unknown commodity going into something that's really sought after with a huge fan base that you has, you know, have of yet taken part in, right? You don't know if you're going to go in and you're going to like it. There's always this sentiment, right? Of like, all right, how, how can all these people be wrong? But sometimes you go into something and it just doesn't click with you. You know, you just don't get it. So in this case, it was nice and satisfying to see what all the hype was about and understand it. And I, and I can. It's really, really good stuff. So what do you think? What, what's, what's your mile high take on, you know, you already said that you enjoyed it. Did, did Michael watch it with you? Yeah, yeah we watched it together. Okay, and, good. Um, she had never seen it either. And it's interesting because I was, it, again, it's what I said earlier, I think, or kind of intimated, which is I get it. 
I totally understand why people love it. I totally acknowledge its quality. I think that any critic worth its salt can approach something objectively and be like, you know, Call of Duty, for instance, always very contentious. And it's clearly a great game. It's clearly a great game. Right. I don't know that how anyone could look at that and be like, this is this game sucks. (laughs) Okay. You know, and I think that when you look at something like Avatar The Last Airbender, when I as I started watching it, I was like this immediately out off actually not immediately after the 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 pilots two part pilot, I think, or the intro kind of two episodes. Sure. I wanted to see if it fell off from there because I know that sometimes they put a lot of their money and their animation heft and all of that into this. And by the way, I, I didn't realize until reading about it that two different studios were going back and forth and making these episodes yeah. and I, I want to know more about that sure I, in my opinion i am sure fans have a preference but i couldn't tell the difference really between them so i want to know more about that as well but it still is true if i'm being honest that it didn't click with me i, I wouldn't say that i wouldn't say it's like something that i want to necessarily see more of i will because we've put this right. time and effort you're into not going to jump into season two before you have to no exactly right it's it's really good but i just don't think it's constructed the way I want to absorb content. Usually it actually does something not to be nitpicky that it bothers me a lot about shows that are coming from broadcast TV in which they just get put on DVD or whatever. You need to edit out those commercial break things. You need to edit out those redundant animations that bring you in and out of like, there's just little things like that. Yeah. Even it being caught in four, three is NTSC is so unfortunate. You know, like the, the aspects aspect ratio of the, of the show being in letterboxes. I was like, oh no, I couldn't believe that. Because even shows, especially live action shows, but there are plenty of shows that were 20 or 30 years older that knew not to do that because it wasn't always going to be the standard. And I was just kind of shocked. Yes. That something so high quality could have missed the forest for the trees. Like it's not deep GI Joe. You know, this is like something <laughs> this just seems like a little something more budget. So at the same time I noticed that and it kind of it kind of held me back. But I must say what I really enjoy about it is the, and you noted this, the focus on just a few characters. I like ensemble games, you know, your Final Fantasy sixes, for instance. But generally speaking, I would rather get to know fewer characters and get to know them better. And one of the interesting things that I think I missed, and I was kind of foolish in saying this to Micah, I was like, what? I'm like, are the, is the fire country, the fire kingdom, whatever, even truly malevolent? Like, I don't even understand the political nature of this yeah. and she was kind of explaining some things that i think i missed because sometimes i like walk into the fridge and i just be listening to it in the background or like yeah sure and it's know. kind of it gets pretty complex yeah it, it does. does and i must say that i kind of lost focus in the middle and then i was drawn back the last three or four episodes i was just totally like staring at the tv and was really into it which is why i felt it almost felt like one story just from that point going back to the three episodes yeah it makes but, sense but i do like the main characters katara and Sokka a lot, the Avatar himself, obviously, Zuko, you have the awesome animals like Appa and Momo, who I, I think are awesome. I, I, I was remarking, I'm like, there must be a ton of dogs circa 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008 with these names. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about the main characters, this brother and sister character, the Southern Water Tribe they come from, and Katara's a, a waterbender, is mysticist kind of uh character i'm a little surprised that they kind of find the avatar so quickly it that was a a little i was like why did it happen so quickly and so suddenly but immediately you see the 
the gravity of the situation because the, the air nomads have died and there's just ancient it's not really ancient it's a hundred year old war and this thing just ongoing and there's some weird political engagement between these various countries that are have an affinity for an element and so it has this very video game feel too very final fantasy old school final fantasy like four crystals feel but talk to me a little bit about some of these main characters and how you might feel about them yeah absolutely kyle you know it's funny what you say about the just the just the world and the video game thing i definitely thought of that you know it's this journey you're going to different places you have the different environments you have the the woods and the fire and the ice and the lava the volcano it seemed like it was a very almost tolkien-esque fantasy feel or slash video game feel to the entire adventure and you're going from place to place it's interesting it was interesting it was ambitious i can't wait to get into the animation with you what i did to set the tone Kyle, and hopefully to entice some of you guys who haven't seen it, and then hopefully I did it justice for you guys who are fa- already fans of the show, is to just set the tone with what I think encapsulates the story. But you let me know if I, if I did an okay job with this. So okay. I would say this. Our tale is set in a fantasy world consisting of four different nations. You have the Air Nomads, the Fire Nation, the Earth Kingdom, and the Water Tribes. and. I think certain people, this is fair to say, certain people within each group have the ability to harness, wield, and manipulate the element corresponding to their respective home nation. And these telekinetically talented individuals are known as benders, which we talked about in the beginning of the show. When we're dropped into the story, the warlike Fire Nation has eliminated the air nomads already in an act of vicious genocide, which you have to pay attention to because they kind of skirt over that a little bit. Yeah, like that was my whole confusion. She's like, what are you talking about? Like when I I asked Mike this and I'm like, but why? Oh, I I guess I'm like, why did I I miss this? I totally missed it. They're almost like fascist. (laughs) Well, I started wondering, why are we meeting these other nations? Where are the air nomads? Like where, when, I, I guess they're saving that for last or leading up to that. It's some sort of payoff. But then I realized like four or five episodes in, I might even read it that, no, the Fire Nation coming into the story, when we're dropped in, the Fire Nation already eliminated those guys. So, and there are reasons for that, which we'll get to. Hence the name, I suppose. Right. It makes sense, right? So after the genocide, now the Fire Nation, this warlike Fire Nation, turns their attention to their conflict with the remaining two foes, the Water Tribes and the Earth Kingdom, right? By chance, two teenage siblings of the Southern Water Tribe discover the, lo- the lost Avatar. He's a powerful, reincarnated figure who must maintain harmony and balance between the four nations. That's his charge. Very Anakin Skywalker-esque. Yeah. Right? Even the use Wars of the word does. balance, I noticed that as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's completely calling up, I think, a lot of Star Wars. And the young Avatar Aang is revived by his new companions, and they agree to set out together to the North Pole hoping to find a waterbending mentor for the 12-year-old avatar who is already a masterful airbender, right? So when we meet him. And then, as the Fire Nation's war machine continues to rage under the leadership of Fire Lord Ozai, who we very rarely get to see, his banished son, my favorite character maybe, Prince Zuko, leads Mm. a campaign of his own in order to win back the favor of his father, and restore his position within the powerful Fire Nation, 
the disgraced prince sets out to hunt for the Avatar. So he has the our antagonist has his own ends, and you know there's a there's a very strong reason why he's pursuing this MacGuffin, this you know Ang the Avatar. So start you know start there, and then you have to talk about of course our main protagonist, our our main hero in, in the adventure, which is Ang the Avatar. Such a fascinating character. I I remember going in or looking at this from afar years ago and saying, okay, who is this kid that looks like? Krillin from Dragon yeah. Ball meets like yeah. a Shaolin monk. That's what it always seemed to me. And it, I think, yeah, you spoke to that too, especially with Aang himself. Like he's so iconic. He's got the orange clothing, the orange garb. He's got the the tattoos of the arrows, the air bending arrows, and he's such an icon that he does sort of elicit your attention even from afar. It's like, all right, what is this all about? I really need to know. And it's so interesting that that's only been satisfied, you know, ultimately days ago and only one, you know, being only one season, it's partially satisfied. But I, I really liked his protagonist. First of all, I found the character very likable. He's actually 112 years old, but of course he takes on the appearance of a 12 year old boy due to this century long suspended animation while encased in this block of ice or this iceberg, again, rescued by these two teenagers of the water tribe. And Aang is the Anakin Skywalker character. He's the legendary avatar type figure charged with preserving balance and peace in this world through his mystical powers, basically. And already an extremely talented airbender, which is fun to see, good, some good action stuff. Aang is rescued by these two teens who agree to accompany him to the North Pole so he can learn how to bend water. So the goal is the avatar is the only figure in this whole world who has the power to bend all four elements. He's the only one that we know so far that has the power to, or the capacity to bend even more than one element. And that's part of his power is that he has this bond with the mystical world or the spirit world. And also he has the ability to bend all four powers because he's aligned with no single one nation. He's aligned with every nation. He's like the ultimate diplomat. And what I love about Aang is he seems like a young and carefree, typical preteen on the surface, a typical 12-year-old, right? He's fun-loving, and he's lighthearted, and he's inquisitive, and he just acts like a kid. But the cool thing about him is you're a little compassionate for him because Aang is obligated by his duties to serve as avatar of this world, which is like the one reincarnated, there's only one ever, and they're reincarnated from generation to generation, from age to age to look over the world and preserve the world. And it's like this heavy burden for a 12 year old. So you're already, your heart's already with this kid. And the fact that he just acts so jovial and happy and lighthearted and just really essentially wants to be a little kid, but he's got this heavy load on his shoulders. I thought that was a really fascinating. Oh, (laughs) sorry. I wasn't going to go there. But it makes for a, a character you really want to get behind. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to get behind and oh, and put a load on his shoulder. And I put know, a load I get, on I his shoulder. I get it. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's a great character to build a story around. I thought. I, I agree. I, I was going to say you had brought it up earlier. I mean, this is he reminds me of Luke Skywalker in a lot of different ways. I really feel like they're similar characters, and I think that the the story is very Final Fantasy-like. 
like the first Final Fantasy. It really is. And which maybe people will learn a little bit more about because that prequel is coming out to PS5 next year from when we're recording this. But I feel like the Luke Skywalker connection is interesting. It's just a little different in the sense that Luke Skywalker isn't, you know, hu- you know, yucking it up with Biggs Darklighter. You know, <laughs> rather he has like a wide eyed, starry eyed optimism, excitement, wistfulness to him. And I think that that kind of is similar to what what's going on with Aang. He's just younger, and so it's a little more childlike. Sure. But they have the similar pressure. It, it's right on down to the balance of the force and all of these kinds of things that, that run through them or balance of the cacophony of four elements in this. But I'm curious to know what more about what you think of Prince Zuko, because I actually am in agreement with you that I find him to be the most intriguing character because I'm not, I, I must just be missing something, but I just am not convinced he's bad. Right. So there's some sort of grayness to him where you want to redeem him. He's almost like a, not to keep bringing Final Fantasy up, but Final Fantasy four, you know, almost like Kane, where you don't really know if he's good or bad or he's jumping in and out. He obviously has malevolent designs, but he seems much more concentrated on this other situation and might even be being manipulated. So and I obviously like his relationship with his uncle and oh, it's so really, really cool. But I think one of the most intriguing things to me is just and obviously Zuko has his conflict, as you noted, with the Fire Nation itself. He's not even really acting on their behalf. And Right. Aang saves his life at at the end of the season, as you would probably do in a I was actually thinking that when they were leaving in the mirror. I was like, is he gonna die? And then they actually says literally he's going to die if we don't take him. So what do you think about Zuko and the I this kind of because you have the you have more of the Commander Zhao character that's overseeing everything and it kind of acts more on behalf of the literally fascistic malevolent Fire Nation, but I'm really intrigued by this gray character oh, that so good. is much more focused on his own angst and kind of his uncle's I- interest in, I guess, seeing this through and help helping him. That's totally uncoupled from the greater 100 year war that's going on around them. So talk to me a little bit about Prince Zuko as a character. Yeah, I think, you know, pound for pound. Prince Zuko is probably the character who I find most compelling. In fact, I found myself wanting to switch back over to him, even when with our heroes, who are all very, you know, the three heroes are main, very, three main heroes are all very likable. But I definitely found myself like, what's Prince Zuko up to? He's really such a fascinating character for me. He's, of course, our principal antagonist. And I think it's so clever to build a story around an antagonist that wants something or needs something. And here you have this disgraced and banished Fire Nation prince who we learn in increments more about his backstory and why he was banished and why he ran afoul of the Fire Nation eventually as this first season progresses. But, you know, he's really leading this tireless campaign, this hunt to capture Aang, to capture the Avatar, hoping that in accomplishing that task, He'll restore his his honor and his place back, you know, at his father's side in the Fire Nation. So, and I think he's fascinating. I think he's compelling to look at. He has that huge sky over his uh, scar over his left eye. His eyes partially closed. We know there's a story behind that. But here's the thing I found most interesting about this character and fascinating, actually, is the brilliant and unique voice acting. That voice immediately struck me. 
as something that was has such great dimension and and texture. There's such a seething anger and hatred in that. And even through all, and and you know what he wants, and you know that he was you know basically kicked out of his nation. So here's this young kid, this young teenage kid for for his young, for his youth, he has all these troubles and world weariness already, you know. And he's got again similar to Ang, similar yeah, to the pressure. you know the guy, the kid he's pursuing. It's like he's got all this weight on his shoulders, and but even through all that anger and that hatred and that hot headedness. There's, and you know, his, it's very sharp and pointed and it's very, and he's, he's violent and that comes out in the voice, but there's also this crackle that, and this cracking that reminds you that he's a kid, he's young, he's still growing up. And even for all the violence and all that hatred and anger and, and rage, you still see some dimension in there. He's not a lost cause. Again, it's very Anakin Skywalker-esque in that. You have this character driven by the need to restore his honor and it makes him a fearsome enemy and he's, he's driven, you know, he's fueled by this, this need to accomplish this goal and this blinding hatred. But you know, in all of that, that he's a young man sort of hanging in the balance between humanity and crossing over into this monstrous ferocity. You know, is he going to be claimed by that rage, you feel like almost like with Zuko at certain points, like one big push. If one more thing happens to this guy, he's going to fall over the precipice and just become like a full fledged demon. And you're kind of hoping for that redemption, though. Like you're, and it gives you just enough to hope for that and, and just wish that, you know, you could reclaim his goodness. There's goodness in there somewhere. You know, how can we make the, how can we claim this guy over from the Fire Nation and, and turn him to good? So, there's a really brilliant performance that I think is in the throes of the writing and the animation and the voice performance by Dante Bosco, which I think is just a rare treat in Western television animation. You never see that. You get that in anime and oftentimes when we're watching subtitle things. But to hear that, I think see that in a Western cartoon and of course animated in South Korea, but largely a Western cartoon created in California, co-created in California and to see that with a Filipino American voice actor and hear that in English and get that depth and dimension through a voice is just you never see it you just you just really never get that and i was just really struck by the performance the overall performance of this character i just think it's it, he he steals the show you know he unfortunately he does steal the show yeah he's well i got to say i mean i got to give it up to all of them I feel like there's a lot of heart in the voice acting and in the characterizations. There's a lot of heart in the facial animations too, and we'll talk about that. But sure, I really feel like Katara, you know, the brother and sister, you know, Sokka, Aang, Zuko, uh, the uncle, and even Haru and some of these other random characters that come in there, they're great. And I feel like I really especially like the brother and sister relationship of Oh, it's it's unclear who's wonderful. older. Do they ever say? I, I don't know. Are they? Are they? That's twins what I was. Th do they yeah. ever say that they're twins? I they're siblings. I obviously, that. I missed that. Uh, but it's it's cool because it reminds me, not in not in any other way, but you and you and Dana just in having this close enough ages where you don't really know who's who, but the girl kind of has the vibe of being the more mature one. The boy sure. has the vibe Absolutely. of being the more wild one, and I think that that's. 
a good archetype to pursue here because it's it makes them quite lovable and and it doesn't because there's no i mean maybe there will be but because there's no real tension between ang and katara it doesn't make some weird triangle although obviously it would be an incestual triangle but it doesn't make some weird triangle and, and indeed it seems like the three of them fit together and and work together and i would have loved to see the anime the booth the vo booths for this because i feel like it would have just there's it just seemed like they got good direction they obviously got good writing and uh, it works really really well i also like the the uh the animal characters i wanted to ask you about them um appa the flying six-legged bison we have the lemur momo i really dig these characters as well i assume that they became iconic Uh, again i i missed this all so i don't know one way or the other but I'm especially keen on this flying bison character. I really dig this design. I, I'm sure it's much more anime than even I know, but it certainly reminds me of, you know, a Miyazaki kind of absolute situation. Yeah. You know? oh, so talk to me a little bit about the animal, like the uh, the animal creatures. They they don't talk, which is cool. So like they only interact with it's almost like a R2D2 type thing with especially with the Momo where absolutely. Yeah, mascot kind of there, characters. and they're in on it, and he knows because there's a really cute scene at the end where Momo appears. They're 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 digging out the dirt to get the the lava from the volcano to go away from the town, and he like has a piece of dirt with him, and he drops it, and then like runs off. So like he's helping, <laughs> like it, you know, it, it, it was very R two D two like. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel about these animal characters. Yeah, I think the season almost ends with Momo, like with a thing of Momo. It doesn't end end, but it almost ends with Momo. But yeah, you know this series. As a whole, Kyle, we know it's channeling whimsy. It's channeling fantasy. I thought a lot about Tolkien. And of course, it's channeling anime. That's a big part of the discussion. But I think you're absolutely right. It's a very astute observation. I think this series on a whole is channeling a lot of Studio Ghibli, a lot of Hayao Miyazaki. And I think it starts with the Apple character. I, I immediately thought as, as upon seeing this character, it's like, oh, it's a flying Totoro cat bus with a bison head and a platypus tail. You know, it's taking a little bit of that Studio Ghibli influence and mixing it up. They do this really cool thing in this world where it feels really earth-like with like the vegetation and the stuff that they eat and fruits and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. But they do this really cool thing with the creatures where they take two seemingly familiar earth-like creatures and they mash them up. So they may take like a catfish and a lion and ma- mash them up. At one point, there's this really interesting thing where they do like a, a sea otter and a koala bear. So they do this really cool thematic thing where they mash up two familiar animals and they make their own thing out of it, which feels earth-like. It feels very, to me, it feels very like Middle Earth, where it's like an earth-like world, but it's not earth, but something that should feel familiar. Like like the mar- martial arts and the mysticism and taking in Eastern culture and a little bit of Native American stuff. So a blend, which is really cool. But the Appa character was is neat because they are very Star Wars like. You know, you have here you have Ang's faithful steed, a creature that has some history with Ang, which I think is interesting. The only one really that we know it for this part of the story, at least. And he's this loyal and protective, sometimes comedic, sometimes extremely lazy. So feels like feels like a pet. Feels like one of our dogs, you know. And this heroic trio's chief mode of transportation. I mean, they're not getting anywhere without without Appa. And I love sort of that unexpected bit of character design where it's like you have this thing that's so massive and seemingly 
so heavy and cumbersome, must weigh tons and tons like a bus that can actually fly. I mean, that's good stuff. You could, cause you could very easily make this sort of light and airy feathery creature that flies, but this is more, this is more interesting. This is more fun. It's like, how is this giant, enormous bus sized bison thing flying? It's just, it's just really fun character design and good stuff. And the Momo character too, like having, again, like having a cross up this mashup between a lemur, everyone loves a lemur. So very clever to pull that in and give it wings. And you make it this cute Ewok like animal sidekick companion, which again, I think feels like borrows from the formulas of successful things that we know so well, like Star Wars, and just injects a little bit of that in. And also another vehicle for comic relief with the animal characters and just a little bit of being able to inject another dose of levity into this story that's, you know, pretty heavy. That's, and, and, you know, pretty dramatic, melodramatic at times. So to be able to have the capacity to pull from characters like that, it's interesting. Like we talked about Battlestar Galactica recently on a show and how that could have gone for six, seven, eight hours without any levity in it. And I think for kids, you got to be more mindful of that. For me, I would, again, I would have liked a little less levity and to move, move the story along because I'm so compelled by what's actually happening at the core of this thing. But when you're making something for kids, it's such a, it's such a thoughtful and sometimes easy to miss thing to inject some humor and make it delightful also. And I think the animal characters are part of what helps achieve that. Yeah, well said. I think the the tension is cut nicely. I actually didn't mind the 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 injections of humor. They often made me smile because I was trying to remember who this was for and it's not for me, right? Uh, and it's for me maybe if I had a, a boy to watch it with or a girl to watch it with. Right, like a, right, right. A child and absolutely. And maybe a wink and a nod to you sometimes, but I really feel like they balanced everything especially with the tension the way the season ends, I was actually quite, I was like, holy shit, th- this is actually getting pretty dark. The When the screen goes red and it just stays that way for a while, I was like, this is, I, I was thinking about 10 year olds or 12 year olds. I was like, this must be, this must have been frightening to some, some sure, children. Sure, I think it crosses over into that territory a little bit. Yeah. And, and that keeps it compelling. It. They're going to want to, they're going to want to tune in for season two, you know? Right. And I think they do it without blood, without gore of any kind. The, it's very G.I. Joe-like action where the bodies end up on a pile. Everyone's missing each other. No one's swords or well said. projectiles do it. Absolutely. But it really, it really works. In fact, I think it's very G.I. Joe-like. There's a scene towards the end when the, the uh, Fire Nation's attacking that, that, the ice capital or whatever, and they have vehicles that are basically hiss tanks. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, you can see the toy commercials here, but how cool were I those really things? I was like, oh, my God, I would have been so that was the moment where I was like, I would have been so into this when I was a kid. It just it just hit me too late. But I want to get into the kind of business aspect of it, too. Again, I mentioned Nickelodeon picking this up. I feel sure. like for the time, this was a peculiar project for them. I feel like it probably still would be. But certainly back then, it was a peculiar project for them. And so I want to know more about that. And then I want to know more about this dueling studio structure they have there and if one is, cons- I'm, I'm very curious if one is considered better than the other. I assume yes, but I just, my eye wasn't caught by the animation in any bad way. Indeed, I, I wrote down in my notes, you often, I think, you, you flatter me, but you often say that I am able to see some errors in, in oh, you're very good and, very and animation and stuff. Sure. I didn't see anything in this. No? Like nothing, I'm not looking for it actively, but you see it. 
and you're like, oh shit, this is wrong or the cell is missing or whatever, you know, the color, weird things like that. And I didn't see personally anything like that. This seemed to me to be a very, here's my interpretation, very high budget, very uh, clean, high production, lots of attention paid to it. I just couldn't imagine that that isn't true because I've seen 80s cartoons, right? Like I've seen anime schlock. I've seen all of these different things. And this just seems to be of such an enormous quality. I don't know if I'm, I'm misjudging it. And that's why I was so amazed that it was two studios because I guess that makes sense because it gave, gave each of them time to breathe. But sure, it also do- doesn't feel uncontinuous to me. It, it, it doesn't feel like the product of it doesn't feel like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. Right. It feels like they belong together. So talk to me a little bit about the production and where this comes from. Yeah, I was really looking forward to digging into this aspect of the series, having not really seen much of it previously. And it was interesting what I found there. I mean, first of all, it's a co-production between Nickelodeon, of course, Animation in Burbank in California, and Animation Studios located primarily in South Korea. So technically, I know this is a very polarizing and divisive conversation to have but it's really not anime because it's not created in japan i think this is i think this is close to anime i think this is very close it's but it's anime not style anime. i just want to kick in real quick it's, yeah sure. we've had this com- we've had this conversation about jrpgs wherein i don't know if it was on this show or on another show where i was saying that we're making a jrpg at lilymo right it's a japanese inspired style role there you go it's not made there and so i think that that's the same yeah you know that's a great point i don't think i've ever thought about the two conversations in tandem before that is a really great point kyle is that and you know what's odd i (laughs) think this is really mixed up but i really think what you guys are going to be creating is a jrpg but i don't think this is an anime (laughs) so that's really not fair so maybe I have to sort this, you know, kind of sort this out a little bit more. But what I found in watching these first 20 episodes was something that I was very impressed by the sheer scale and scope of the animation production. Very rare, first of all, by Western television animation standards to go this big and this seemingly big budget. It is really impressive. It's it's really beautifully done. Talking about the character animation, there's gorgeous effects animation in the series, lush backgrounds, and a 20 episodes so far of completely new environments from episode to episode, new environments, new episodic characters, new props, new vehicles. They're creating things from scratch in each and every episode. So the design was really, really design heavy. And also just the fact of animating a lot of this stuff on twos, which is apparent, really beautiful animation. And just the level of detail that most Western animation of the last couple of decades and prior leave you wanting, right? Like when when Ahsoka and Katara and Aang are walking in the sand, they're leaving footprints, stuff like that. Or... They're walking on the beach and their footprints are dissipating or being overcome by the wake and, and the waves and the, the water lapping up on the sand. That level of detail in the effects and the shadowing and the highlighting is very rare in television animation because the budgets usually just aren't there for that. So they really, not only the creators, but the people that worked on it, 
both in California and at the animation studios abroad, and the people that were backing it, the executives really had a belief in that this thing was worth all of that, which is a pretty striking thing. And sometimes maybe things that people aren't even cognizant of in, in the world of entertainment is that there were people backing this. There were people that believed in spending this much money and spending this much time. I'm sure this took a long time compared to a lot of other things, especially by 2005 standards, not only to animate, but to design, to do the storyboards, the animatics, write the stories, kind of vet it from episode to episode and make sure everything was flowing at a certain degree. So really shout out to Michael DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, but also all the cast and crew of this thing, because from everything, from the art, to the voice acting, to the editing is really beautifully crafted. And you don't often get to see that. You even see things in this where I, I realized early on where it was like, there are scenes much like a Studio Ghibli film that are showcased where maybe it's an action set piece or something that demands a little bit of really kinetic animation, really energetic stuff. And all of a sudden it's like a one, it's on ones it's framed 20, you know, it's, it's shot 24 drawings a second. And you have like Aang running down the turret of the castle and jumping back on his glider, something really beautiful in each episode, maybe, maybe even two or three snippets that you get that are even showcased. So to almost be treating this like a feature film or at least a very high budget OVA where it doesn't even feel often like a TV series. There were very few egregious things where I was like, oh, that's, that was done on the cheap. There were a couple of things that stood out, but very few glaring areas where it, was, it didn't seem like they were putting in their A game or their A team, which again is something that you just don't see. And you could see little shortcut, clever shortcuts too, like Soka and Katara often wear those three-fingered gloves. So they don't, they don't have to handle all five fingers all the time for the two, two of the main characters. Right. There's really clever things that they do put in there that aren't egregious, that are just clever and smart for production. They could spend that money elsewhere, and they do. But that was the thing that really struck me. It was like, wow, there are new characters and new settings and new props and new vehicles and just all new environments in every one of these episodes, it's completely different from episode to episode. Not only that, but each episode is very cinematic in nature. They're not pulling punches. It's very feature film-like in the fact of like, we're going to show this wide. Now we're going to zoom in. We're going to show the character from rear three quarter. We're going to do difficult things. We're going to make it really compelling and cinematic and not pull our punches. We're not going to show everything in the front front three quarter. We're not going to make everything very wooden and static. We're going to just be as dynamic as we want. And to not only to have the money for that, but to be for Nick and the powers that be to be able to willing to spend the funds for that is really demonstrative. And it's cool when that happens and the product resonates, right? Because what if they did all that and this show fell flat on its face? That would have been a whole different conversation we're having now. But, you know, and also very exciting for me that I hear that season two, completely unspoiled, kind of difficult when you're reading about things, but is story to be like the Empire Strikes Back of Avatar. Like it's going to get good, both in terms of production and in terms of story and character. So I'm really looking forward to that because we haven't, yet, the best is yet to come, which is really exciting. But I couldn't, you know, and also, you know, Kyle, with the, with the vying animation studios or whatever, 
you have to remember one thing, like a story, uh, an animated series rather, especially one of this magnitude and this scope, they're always going to, and if it's animated overseas, you have overseas animation production. The reason to have that model in place is because oftentimes it's, it's cheaper. And it's another reason why you don't see a lot of, for instance, French or Japanese animation studios doing things because that has a very Western budget. So that's why things went over to the Philippines and to China and to Korea. I think South Korea is kind of becoming the new Japan now. I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last. That may have already taken place where South Korea is just as expensive as doing it you know, in-house or in Canada or in, or in Japan. But the, the, the reason to have that in place is to do things a little cheaper with veteran staff, you know, people that really know the trade, experienced craftsmen and artists. But to have two or three South Korean studios, and I heard, I have to investigate this further, but from what I hear, there is a Japanese studio also involved in the series at some point. But to have two or three South Korean studios working at the same time, there's always going to be a disparity in quality. That's just the nature of art, be it commercial art or whatever kind of art. And, and these different places have different crews. They have different numbers of people. There's different things that make the the quality of the work ebb and flow. But the the idea to have two, at least two, running side by side is so you could have more episodes going at once. But I have to say, even to I fancy myself to have a pretty keen eye for this kind of stuff. I didn't. I saw some discrepancies in an episode or two where it was like, okay, the C team might be doing this episode. Which in this case I thought was particularly odd because it was an earlier episode, which I think is supposed to be an episode where you're setting the tone. You got to be careful there. It's not somewhere in the teens, for instance. But you have these studios running side by side so you can produce more. So the nature of the budget is you got to do it quickly because I'm sure the budgets were high. So how do we make this economically feasible? We do them quickly. So we have two or three studios running side by side. But I have to say, maybe one of the least egregious series I've ever seen in the fact of like, I wasn't missing something from episode to episode, or I didn't see like, okay, JM is doing this, doing this episode and DR movie is doing this episode. I really didn't see much of that, which was, is easier said than done, man, because any animation production, even the Peppa Pig, even the simplest thing really does require a lot of quality and a lot of QC, and a lot of consistency. So to have that in a series this complex with this level of drawing, this level of art, this level of complexity and what you're trying to pull off is striking. And it holds up 15 or 16 years later, man. I, I, I really, that's why I think it's problematic to create live action versions of these things, be it M. Night Shyamalan or now what Netflix is doing. And I trust Netflix more than I trust anybody. But you already have something of such high quality. It's dangerous to tread into those waters again because now you have a barometer set so high that it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to top or even equal out. Yeah, they can't. So resist. you know they they're resist. doing that right now with Cowboy Bebop, and I'm, the jury's still out on that. I'm too early on. I was just talking about. Yeah, I've, I've heard yesterday. it's not great, but I, I don't know anything about that series. But I, I feel like they just can't resist. I find it so weird because you're, you're right. There, this, first of all, speaks to, and I talk about this a lot on Sacred Symbols, you can't underestimate the importance of good executives and good producers, people that don't aren't in the trenches because they're the ones that keep you on track. They're the ones that monitor things. They're the ones that have the outside eye. And for all the bean counting that we talk about on this show, and there's a lot of that going on, 
there are a lot of executives that know exactly what they're doing. Uh, a lot of producers that know exactly how to engineer a team to produce the exact right product. And I think that that comes to bear here, obviously. I think it's a huge portion of this. And it's so interesting that they had so much control from 2005, 2006, 2007 with those. And then they greenlight this movie that by all accounts is horrible. And it's so interesting to know that. It's like, what? How? It, it, it's, it's That's not like a pendulum swinging a little bit in the middle. That's a pendulum widely swinging and having just just totally letting go of a product and then coming back with legend of Korra and seeing how well received that was but then seeing like platinum games putting out a shitty Korra game and oh, it's a shame. all this now now they're going back to because i was i was looking at avatar games i was like oh shit there might be some avatar games that are good that i miss but not really apparently i will say the only shortcuts that i might have noticed and if you would call them shortcuts is I think that they would go out of their way to not redraw backgrounds sometimes like there would be action scenes that would take place in this really close arena. And I'm like, man, I actually said it to Micah out loud. I was like, at one point, I was like, man, they really don't want to draw that background because <laughs> it was like going on for so long. Like this very contained thing. I feel like this, this show feels like it should have almost not Dragon Ball like space where it's like happening over fucking miles and eons and shit, but something that's a little more a little wider, a little looser. And I think they actually do a really nice job. You're talking about production, I guess, choices by keeping backgrounds, low texture, by keeping things pretty minimal. They, and by using a lot of parallax and all sorts of tricks to give depth and movement. Sure. They do a really nice job. And so when things happen, and I wanted to ask you about this particularly, because I noticed this, this was the one thing I noticed and I feel like it has to be intentional. When they're on Appa, there it's as if they're not moving. And it's they don't even do the anime line thing yeah. in the sky. They don't do anything. Right. And I feel like I could look at that and be like, that must be a cost-cutting maneuver. But I don't think it is. I think it's that's literally the way it's supposed to be. Is that it's supposed to be a very calm scene for some reason when they're flying on this thing. And the reason that I don't read negatively into it is because they don't seem to take many shortcuts otherwise. So if there's supposed to be a kinetic movement in that scene, I feel like we would have seen it. Sure. So I feel like everything is done very intentionally. And even as a novice of knowing anything about animation, I feel like it, it stands out. I also really want to give a shout out to just not only the vivid color palette, but the particular colors and shades that they choose, the blues that they choose, the greens pop, the green, you know, especially the blues, though. Uh, when you look at like they're almost ice climber like or Iceman type outfits, and then you look at the, the blue of the sky compared to the blue of the ocean, it just it really, really pops nicely. I also like that they don't fall into you had said that there's almost almost tolkien-esque like mystique to the universe and i like that they don't fall into seemingly any cliches for instance when you meet the earth people the earth kingdom or whatever they're called the warriors are women and i loved that because what do you expect when you go into earth you're caverns and dwarves dwarves and armor and Hefton. Great point, dude. And instead, they their 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 warriors are women, right? And, and so insult the women. It's just the exact opposite. Because you were talking about when we did the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we don't even see a female dwarf. No, nope. So, so I loved that they did little things like that. That I think kept things fresh too. Uh, that was pretty cool and noticeable for me. Super astute observations, dude. I mean, you just listed off a bunch of things that are like so impressive to me as somebody who fancies himself as a non-artist. It's like. 
you know, first of all, the colors, yeah, I, I, that's a really important to shout out to because even though you have this grounded fantasy-like world that's sort of primitive, right? Everything except for the Fire Nation who seems to cleverly and strategically build everything out of iron. Besides that, that's sort of the ironwork smithy end of things. But besides that, it's a very Tolkien-esque fantasy-like world that you would expect. Grounded, muted colors, grass and forests and cliffs and deserts and, and things. But they still manage to keep things popping with those colorful and vibrant colors. And that's hard to do, man, and, and really make a world that you want to kind of immerse yourself in which is really hard to do in a fantasy like thing. I love the Lord of the Rings. I love Peter Jackson's versions. They're not colorful movies by any degree. No, no, you know? not at all. Not at all. And you know, that could also be a strategy, but that and also I mean that observation about flying was something I noticed too, Colin. I'm impressed that you noticed that. There was sort of something in there even when Appa's flying along at a lumbering pace and are not you know, escaping from something or getting somewhere urgently. They do have a sort of lack of showing that panning background. It doesn't have to be dynamic speed lines, anime-like, like you're saying. It could just be clouds moving slowly in the distance or some sort of multi-plane thing where you see the cliffs moving and you see the clouds behind that moving a little slower. There are scenes, especially middle shots and close-ups, where it does feel very static and it feels like a mistake. You know, it's like, are they flying right now or are they staying right. still with a blue bag? Is, he, is Appa yeah, perched on Yeah, I didn't know if it was cliff? supposed to be mystical or not. You know, No, I just think it was a miss. You know, I just think hmm. we were just talking about this at work the other day because we're getting a lot of the animatics for our project are being done in India. The animation's being done in India, which is not unexpected, but the animatics, which are the moving storyboards, kind of the foundation and construction for the whole process, a really key part of the process in animation is being, the animatics are being done in India. And they're getting a lot of notes back from our side of things, from the muckety mucks and the writers and stuff. I'm not really involved in that too much. But I was saying, yeah, there's got to be some sort of discipline where, in the notes process and animation, especially for something as heavy as the animatics and as formative as the animatics, where you have to say, you have to give all your notes. And then you have to go through and say, we could only send 75% of these. So, which bottom 25% of these notes make the least amount of sense to send. In other words, which which of these notes are the least important? We got to get them out of here. We'll send India 75% of these notes. We have to compromise. And I think with that, with the flying thing and the panning backgrounds and just having that extra element in there was a thing where they just ran out of time. You know, it's like you could only do so much. So there's gonna be there's gonna be things you want to do. There's gonna be left things left on the cutting room floor, things that you didn't have time to to go after. And you know what? The other thing is I have to give a shout out to the art direction for the series so far because it does shift so drastically from episode to episode in terms of locale, in terms of characters outside of the main characters that we're dealing with and the tech and all that kind of stuff. And the art direction is very consistent, even though they're showing us new characters and new environments and new tribes and, and, and what their clothing and garb looks like and what their you know, their housing looks like and their worlds and their villages and all that kind of stuff. It's really consistent. And that's hard to pull off when you're doing so much in, in such a little amount of time. And it's ambitious. It's even more ambitious than anime, especially OAV anime or television anime in a lot of instances, because there's not a lot of those very stylized scenes where you get the medium shot of the character and the head and the, the hair and the headband are blowing, but it's just panning. And, you know, with the mouth flap, 
it's very it's very ambitious in terms of the animation that they have in each episode. And they might go down the threes here and there. But besides that, it really even trumps a lot of anime in a lot of cases, which you don't see that or hear that a lot about Avatar. But it is true. It's that it's really that impressive. And even the ability talk about the levity in terms of the writing and what the characters are saying and dialogue and everything. It was also pretty early on for anime. Anime hadn't caught on like wildfire in 2005, like it has now, certainly 15 years down the road. But there is this willingness to cross the characters over with sort of the chibi, cartoony, silly expressions, right? which was a really bold move for a, a, tel- a Western television show back then. It was something that kids weren't yet steeped in fully. You know, they didn't know it like they know it today. Doing it today is less of a, it's it's more of like, yeah, of course we're going to do that. It's anime. But back then it was pretty, uh, it was pretty new territory and to tread. And I thought that, I thought that was really cool that they do that too. And also part of the comedy in the show, which I think would have bothered me in my late twenties watching this, but now I'm much more acceptable of like, all right, that's not. That's just a stylistic choice. And again, when you carry it through consistently, it becomes it doesn't become a shortcut. It's the style of the show and it's very meaningful in the fact of not only the look, but the the levity that springs out of that, which I think is something that's um thoughtful, another thoughtful element of the show. For sure. I think that's probably the the all-encompassing word is just thoughtful. I think it's a good show. I think it's high quality. I, I think it must have been, to your point about the anime, just influences. It must have been a gateway to for many kids into anime. And I, I wonder, it's you couldn't really prove it, but there's got to be some causation between people, or correlation, I should say, between people watching Avatar and then anime growing in the West. I mean, anime is just a huge thing today. And I wonder if it began here. There are obviously others, and I would obviously say that there are other more influential ones too, including Dragon Ball. But and and of course Cowboy Bebop and others too. But I feel like maybe this was something a little more accessible. It was on Nickelodeon. It wasn't on Cartoon Network in the middle of the night. It was on Nickelodeon on prime time and getting a lot of love from a trusted source of a longtime trusted source of quality children's entertainment and quality children's animation. And whether it's Doug or Ren and Stimpy or the Wild Thornberries or Hey Arnold or whatever, like this just really stands out against that first 15 years or so of original animations coming from or original animation coming from the Nicktoons kind of quadrant. And so I feel like there's something notable here from an economic and production point of view, too, that I would like to know more about as we as we move on to the second and third seasons. The one thing I wanted to ask you is uh, what 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 would your element be? What would you yeah. want to bend? <laughs> That's so funny. I had that on my list to ask you as well. Yeah. So all right. So beer, booze, and and drugs don't count. Yeah. You know what? I have to go for for air just because of flight. Right. Right. I wish it kind of bothers me that Ang has to use that glider. As cool as that glider is, to have that little prop that he uses to get around and kind of channeling the air currents to fly around on that thing. I kind of want him to fly around like Superman or One Punch Man for some reason. I think it would just be cooler, but who knows? Maybe he, for all we know, maybe he gets to that point. Maybe he doesn't yeah. even need the glider anymore. Yeah, I like the design of that thing too. It was like a staff or whatever. Yeah, and then it opens up into that, fans right. out into that that glider shape. What about you, Kyle? What's your uh, element of choice 
I think I would go with Earth because I think it would be the one that would be most unusual for my body type and size and personality. So you wouldn't expect that I would necessarily use that. But I think it would be cool if someone you would expect someone like Juggernaut to you know you to be able to bash the Earth and bring you know something like that. <laughs> That's a good point. Or the thing or whatever. But for me to be able to not even I I would want to use it like tele you know telekinetically. Like I wouldn't want to like, but I think it would be cool to be able to manipulate earth and dirt and rocks and stuff and and all of that. Yeah, yeah. the earthbenders were cool, man. They and they leave the most question marks so far in the first twenty episodes because it seems like they could do a lot. Like they could they could dig the the earth up or stone up out of the ground and it's already in like a cylindrical shape or it's in a ball shape. It's all in the that must Very be convenient. all in the bending. Not only to be yeah. able to heft tons of rock, but also to be able to like form bridges and now you have stalactites and stalagmites and you're doing all this crazy thing with sta- shaping the stone. It's interesting. The only thing that really leaves me sort of, it does seem a little imbalanced to me so far. Like earth and fire seem like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe air. I think air and water seem like, I don't know, the least water, especially let's just say the water bending seems like now I know you could water bending translates into ice bending and being able to form ice. And then there's some sort of healing that we see Katara channeling too. There's some healing powers associated with water bending, which is cool, which I can't wait to see more of, but it just seems like water is not going to be any match for fire, earth, and possibly wind. And I only say wind or air because it's said that he could summon like gale, like winds, like hurricane, like strength from this, from this air bending. So that seems like I want to see how water is going to play into this because water, of course, like a force to be reckoned with in real life and in, in science and nature. But did you get that sense too? It's like, all right, yeah. how's water going to vie here? Like, how's that going to hold up? I thought about that too, and I also thought about the one unfortunate thing. Although I understand the way the, how they do this in the structure of protagonist and antagonist, it's just kind of it is a little cliche that the fire is is aligned with the bad guys. It would have been cool to maybe mix that up a little bit too, but it is, you're right. It does feel a little unbalanced, but I think that that's part of the story. They're supposed to feel like they're under siege and clearly, yeah. like clearly air at least pound for pound didn't stand up to, to Good fire in their ethos, in their world. The other thing I wanted to just point out is I, I really was struck by the, and I, I brought it up earlier, but the the whole moon thing, the sacrifice of that girl, yeah, into the fish or whatever, so sad, and the yin and the yang or whatever. I really and like the kind of lost love there and her engagement and all of that. It's I I really found that strange that arc fringe strangely emotional and sad. And I wanted to give that a shout out because there was a lot of levity and a lot of wasted time in the series so far for me, in my opinion. And yeah, I feel like they did a really nice job of focusing in make like giving some character and you know in some way Sokka is like a he's tragic definitely I really like that they kind of played that up like you you almost thought they were going to get a new party member or something right and as it were and it goes the exact opposite it was really quite tragic and sad so and I really it was and it was sudden also and it did yeah, and Sokka is such an interesting character because he's he's largely comic relief and he kind of feels left out. You have this, I don't know if it's a budding romance or a budding friendship between Aang and Katara, but he often seems like a third wheel, even though he's Katara's brother, right? I love the yin, yin and yang relationship between Sokka and Katara that you have this sort of siblings, one's 
pessimistic and sarcastic and wisecracking and a little little too brash, a little too a uh, little too quick to rush in. And the other one is a lot more seems to have a lot more wisdom and she's she's optimistic and she is a little more a little more patient. So I love that yin and yang relationship, but Soka, yeah, for some reason he just you, you love him. He has a great personality, great voice acting. But and so he he has some growth too because he kind of goes from this quick to rush in, really the tendency to look before he leaps type of thing to sort of going through this journey of becoming more thoughtful and more optimistic like his beloved sister. And he has that whole thing that comes on late in the se- in the season where he's pretty bright and he has this penchant for engineering and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of cool. But it was kind of a sad little thing to throw him at the end, in, in the end where he finds yeah. like a love that was going to probably be unrequited anyway, interestingly enough, but that ends even more tragically than we initially expected which was you know which was uh yeah kind of a late bit of heartbreak to introduce us right in the last episode actually right? yeah I just, thought, I just thought it was very emotional and surprisingly dark for the definitely. tenor of most of the show i guess yeah definitely a lot you know a show showing loss like that you know yeah and, and and you you said it earlier the show is rife with lessons that are i think overt some of them not so overt or at least the willingness to bring up lots of different topics i mean did you notice how they bring up vegetarianism like yeah a lot they yeah. bring up you know i love they bring up like misogyny in the first episode i think stuff like that so there's a lot of different subject matter that i think adds to the the series as a serial but also like a serialized se- series but also has a bit of a procedural school you know after school special kind of thing going on but it's not really it's not really overbearing to me yeah, it doesn't beat i think you it all just works yeah yeah i works. think so too Diggs, is there anything unsaid about the show? You know what? There's one. I'm really looking forward to season two. Um, it's interesting what you say about, I could totally see your perspective on this as far as there being, we talked about this with, what did we talk about this with? Maybe the, the most recent Battlestar Galacticus uh, season that we covered, where there were a lot of seemingly filler episodes, bottle episodes, departures, one-offs, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, that was season three of uh, Battlestar. We that was season three. That was the, yeah. And that was the most recent one we covered. Right. With this, I really didn't mind it because to me, it was just character building and world building. And I like the characters in the world. But I could, I did find myself getting impatient sometimes where it's like, let's get back to the main story. Where is Prince Zuko, whatever, that type of thing. One thing I'm looking forward to and I'm anticipating for season two is the Uncle Iroh character. I think he's, they show him just enough to be compelling. He's sort of a tease because you don't see him too often but here you have like the uncle to the prince who's serving as his nephew's advisor and from the very beginning i was asking myself about this character because he seems to fly in the face of everything we know about the fire nation you know he's the exact antithesis to his angry and brooding nephew you know he's he's calm and he's gentle and he's wise and spends a good deal amount of time drinking tea and trying to impart wisdom to his raging yeah, playing young instru- musical instruments and shit. Nephew, yeah. yeah. He's just, he's fun almost to the point where I thought it was a misdirect. It was like, no, this guy's going to be evil. And, but I think what, what it is, is he's the force instilling whatever good is left in his nephew. 
And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him and that apparent goodness and humanity and the fact of like maybe that's rubbing off. Maybe that's rubbing off on his nephew to sort of detract from all the rage and wanting to get back into good standing with the Fire Nation and all that kind of stuff. I love the the warmth and the wisdom and the and the compassion of that character. And I find myself hoping it was real and not some, you know, like you you go along with Prince Zuko and make sure he stays away or maybe lead him lead him into danger so he gets killed off or whatever could have been going on there. And I, I think it's on the up and up, but I I, I really want to see now. I'm pretty sure it well, is. Don't we see him get like infuriated at the, the yes. situation, which is cool. And know? that was a striking scene when he threatens yeah. Admiral Zhao. You know, he says like, you know, either release her or like, I'm going to unleash my wrath on you and not so many words. That was like, whoa, because that's really the first time. You, it's not the first time you see him in action. You do see what he's capable of in earlier episodes. And, and you've kind of figured that this is like a Yoda like figure. He's not going to flaunt it. But he definitely has that power. Yeah, well, he doesn't seem worried about anything. So that he's not. Really, yeah, he's yeah. just completely carefree. Everything rolls yeah. off his shoulders. But that's another thing to have that that secondary antagonist, that Admiral Zhao character, also who's you know basically this ambitious officer still serving the Fire Nation under Lord Ozai, and he's the rival to Prince Zuko because they're both going after the same thing. So by having this Admiral Zhao character in there, it creates a race. You know, you have two different bad guys not aligned with each other, basically racing to the same goal, which made which created again just really clever writing, simple, but really clever writing and helped to create that tension and helped to create that sort of the that sort of rival faction between two bad guys, both vying for the, you know, both vying for the um, I guess you would say what, the favor of their leader. Which is, you know, which is cool. That was really cool to see. So there's plenty to Definitely. see. And I want to see more of the, the siblings. I want to see more of uh, Sokka and Katara. And I want to see more of Aang. You want to see more of everything at this point. And you get that teaser at the end where the Fire Nation, you know, Prince Zuko's sister is going to come on the scene. And he talks a little bit about her. That she's she was the favored one. She was the powerful one. And she's the ambitious one. So we're going to have a new... We're gonna have a new antagonist. In yeah, it's two. cool. I, I, I like uh, also with Fire Lord Sozin, like the inclusion of the comet. I thought it was like really eerie. I always find comets eerie. I think they're super eerie, especially when no one knew what they were and they would just appear and go across the sky and portend whatever you wanted them to portend. So there's a lot of cool mysticism there too. And the only Definitely. thing that I, I wish that they took advantage of more, and I understand why they didn't. It's, it's, it's not political enough for me. And I don't mean that in like raw fucking intrigue and stuff like that but i just wish we knew a little more about why there's no there seems to be no like what is the point of all of this there has to be a point even the nazis had a point you know right quotes like we knew what the point for them was it wasn't a good point i just wanted to know like what is the win condition just domination because it, 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 i don't understand why like to what that end? You know smacks what I mean? of Star Wars too, though, with the Empire. It's like, why? It does, it, yeah, exactly. Because I like when I think about Nazism, for instance, like the great evil in our real timeline, in our real world, like we knew why. It was cultural domination, racial purity, Lebensraum, the idea of having living space and farmland. Right, and, right. And access to gas and oil and minerals. Like that's where the evil came from. So it's like, okay what what is the fire nation going after and i'm not trying to be in there in there with their diplomats trying to figure out what they're trying to figure out i'm just 
I just want to know more about that world. And I hope that we get that in the um, in the second episode and Maybe frankly, or the second season. And frankly, Empire does bring some of that into Star Wars. For instance, with the 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 battlefield promotion and all that kind of stuff, which is one of the great scenes. So maybe we'll get some more of that here too. But yeah, that's all I really have to say about Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1. Available now on Netflix as of the time we're recording this. I assume it's going to stay there since they're working on a series uh, as they can set a live action series. And we'll get back to it as the months roll on. Dagan, should we end as we always do with a dad joke? Kyle, you know, did you, I have to investigate this further, but the power struggle or whatever it is between the Avatar creators and Viacom slash Paramount Nickelodeon and Netflix seems to be going back and forth. Like there's some sort of wrestling. I think it ended up back. I think Netflix is still producing the live action series as far as I know, but I think what I heard last, and I have to vet this information, is that Nickelodeon slash Viacom slash Paramount started their own animation studio. just to do avatar related content i have to look into that further but that because of something that happened that they were unhappy with at netflix i think it ended up they ended up wrestling control back to the viacom camp and now there's some sort of offing of new animated content under this completely avatar-esque umbrella that's the last i heard so it's interest that's another interesting part of the conversation is this is going on in contemporary 2021 2022 times. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because it is an empire for for the powers that be, for the Netflixes and for the Paramounts. It's a, mm. you know, it's a it's still a big deal. So talk about getting 20 years on, right? And the, you know, so that's that's another that's another big part of the conversation. Kyle, I have another big um and you know we get we get criticized for not talking about the music. I didn't. Oh, I I'm sorry. I, I, I wasn't yeah, hit right, over yeah. the head with the music. I didn't. I didn't really. I always think about it. I think the music fits the bill. I think it's fine. I think sometimes it's. It seems like it accompanies the emotion of what's going on in the scene. It gets big when things get big in the show. But I'll tell you what I miss about this. And going back to a cartoon like Mysterious Cities of Gold, which is one of the greatest animated theme songs of all time. We're missing that catchy, gotta hear it, gotta be on the couch in time for the opening, right? G.I. Joe, Transformers. We're missing that era of catchy opening theme songs and cartoons. I really want to see a return to that. You know, like the SpongeBob theme song is great, but, and the SpongeBob theme song is from the 90s, but. You know what I mean? We really need, that's what I really would love to see with a thing like Avatar. It's like, get that theme song whether it's instrumental or vocals or whatever but we're really missing that sort of catchy theme song that makes us want to be in time to watch every second of every episode you know what i mean yeah that's interesting Uh, you're right like it it still comes from that era too where that was acceptable we have the shorter intros and the really the not so time wasty intros now yeah we don't want to spend too much of our time blow too much of our (laughs) load on that on an intro yeah yeah I, I, yeah that's true too that's a good point kyle yeah. i got a very special one for us today from Ooh. our sister ali oh. scoop moriarty al they don't like this one it's on you my friend kyle why did the snail paint a big s on his car i don't know because he wanted to see people shout look at that s car go 
<laughs> not bad. Hey, you laugh. Pretty good. That's pretty that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Cute. I would say cute. Of, this falls in thought, the cute camp. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Allie, appreciate that. And Dagan, appreciate you and appreciate all of you guys out there supporting our show on Last Stand's Patreon, patreon.com slash Media on YouTube and Last Stand Media there, podcast services, etc. Buy merch at laststandmedia.shop. That's it. It's episode 200. 200, dude. Now, it's a little anticlimactic for us because we've actually recorded 201, 203, 204, you know, 201, right. 202, 203, yes. and 204 already. So, but for you, it's, guys, it's exciting. We hope you enjoyed the surprise. Be excited. Topic. Be, and uh, we'll be back to it to, uh, to continue it. So thank you all out there. Love you. Goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show is conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palmino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J. A. Zhu, Tristan Palacio, Strew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Trons, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Derek O, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gant Holliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Aya Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.